0: Hello this is Tom Williams and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. Over uh, the last almost 6 years now we've been trying to cover as much as we can in the in the area of performing arts with the emphasis on theater. But there's one area that that I must say that I have not covered enough and that's the area of music. All types of music from from pop rock through opera to the to the symphony and classical music. So I enlisted a local expert. Say hello to Dennis Polkow. Hello, Dennis.
1: Hi, Tom. It's Polkow, but that's Polkow.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. I I, I hate to get anyone's name (laughs) wrong. So, uh, tell us now you have this, this tremendous background. Uh, and I know you cover everything in music. What is, what's been the last year or so has been, been the main things that are happening in the music scene in Chicago?
1: I think there's a number of things, but I, certainly the, the big story for um, for music lovers in Chicago, I think, has been the um, Ricardo Muti at the Chicago Symphony. Um, this, of course, is, that was a much-anticipated uh, appointment, and then it, it kind of uh, fizzled out initially because uh, the poor man became ill last fall. This would be a year ago now. And uh, then he had to go back to uh, Italy, actually, on the evening of a, of a gala that never was performed in the fall. So that left a lot of people thinking, hmm. And then he came back last winter, actually, right around the time of the big snowstorm, and then uh, collapsed during his uh, first rehearsal with the orchestra. Uh, hit his head, shattered his jaw, uh, you know, it turned out to be a, uh, uh, a heart issue and an arrhythmia that was fixed with a, uh, a pacemaker here. But then he also had the, the situation where his entire jaw was wired shut, and that canceled his entire uh, winter residency. So people, sort of everywhere, were thinking, hmm, what's going on in Chicago? And then in the spring, after recuperating, he came back and and my god it was just it was an epiphany when the man came back
0: didn't it, you do a major interview with him
1: i did i was i was very fortunate that uh, that he uh that he uh, spoke with me myself in the new york times on the day that he uh, came back the first rehearsal and i wasn't it just sort of turned out that that was a, a major conversation that we turned into a uh, a cover story actually our second on him within uh six months over at new city there and I, I think it was just because he was feeling so euphoric that um he had this wonderful rehearsal and and the orchestra had been so responsive with him and uh so the new york times came in beforehand so so they got a, a shorter time but uh, since I came in afterwards, and uh, he, you know, didn't have a, a, an appointment, we just kept talking into the evening, and uh, it just the timing couldn't have been better. He felt very good, and he he was very revealing about a lot of things. But I, I think for us in Chicago, what what's the amazing part of that is just that the the quality of the music making, not only the vision and the leadership that he's bringing to the orchestra, but how responsive. The Chicago Symphony has been to him after a, a time where, the, as an organization, certainly musically was was running you know fairly rudderless for about six years with Daniel Barenboim's sudden departure. Uh, back really, um, well, the announcement was uh, was in the oh five oh six I think, and then he, then he left that that next year and. Um, so we had we had quite a long time there without leadership here. And then to have it come in and be as solid as it was with him has has just really been amazing.
0: So you think you think the CSO is back, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> honestly, Tom, I mean for those of us old enough to remember the extraordinary period of time with Sir George Schulte and the Chicago Symphony back in the seventies.
0: I that's the the first couple of uh uh times I I was there he was there and it was amazing,
1: yeah. And I think some of us sort of pinched ourselves like how lucky is this this accident of you know, geography and timing and everything else that we're around for this. And usually that's the kind of thing that you're lucky if you can experience once in a lifetime.
0: Yeah, didn't you do a major think piece on uh, Schulte that? That was uh, published in the Reader.
1: Well, I did. I was very I, I was lucky because you know Schulte being a, a Hungarian, I, I have a Hungarian brother-in-law, so I think very few people could make much sense out of his accent. And so, in some cases, it was that he was a bit um, not terribly forthcoming. But it was also that I think some people just literally didn't understand him.
0: Yeah, and so, they didn't want to admit it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we, we, we were able to, uh, to, to, there's something about these temperamental conductors that, uh, I, maybe it says something about me, but I get along with them.
0: <laughs> well, you got a, you got a low-key, uh, sort of manner, uh, that, that, uh, that probably works.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it could be, I, I am genuinely interested in, in what they do, and, um, and I, and I think that, that does make a difference.
0: Well, I know you don't like to brag, but from what I understand, that piece is still the most sought-after uh, uh, back issue of uh, The Reader in the history of The Reader.
1: Well, I, Robert Roth told me that some years ago, uh, which surprised me to no end. Um, and, of course, that's very flattering. I think some of that really is just that um, he didn't do a lot of interviews. That, and, and this was such a long one. We did it over, uh, really, it was like over a year. Where, and then I strung all that together. You, you couldn't get Schulte to sit down for more than an hour at a time.
0: So you, you had many meetings
1: with him then? We did. And I always made a point when we'd finished there'd be so much more. I said, well, but I forgot to ask you about this.
0: Yeah, cool.
1: <laughs> And then that would sort of whet his appetite, like, well, okay, yeah, I'll tell you about that. I just don't want to do it now. Okay. So
0: so let's uh let's uh so you you say the the c s o is back on track and and uh, uh it, as good as they've ever been
1: yeah i mean i I think that that um the reason in part and bring up the Schulte thing is that for those of us that were lucky enough to especially in the early seventies when they were really at their you know power their their height you know the the chicago Schulte alliance, we kind of thought that was going to be the only. You know, like, whoa, well, that, that's, that's it now. And, and now, I mean, in a, in a, of course, the music making is, is of a very different type. But in terms of the quality level, as far as I'm concerned, I think the Muti, uh Chicago Symphony Alliance is, is just a spectacular one. And you, again, you're like almost pinching yourself like, ooh, this is incredible. That, uh, I, I wouldn't have expected that at this stage of my career that there would be that level of alliance, that that a marriage like that. Because it is a marriage. It's not just a great conductor and a great orchestra, because we see that all the time, where you put a pairing together like that, but the chemistry doesn't happen. But for a a lot of really fascinating reasons, having to do with where uh, Ricardo Muti was in his life and where the Chicago Symphony is in their journey, this alliance has just been spectacular.
0: Well, that's good news. Let's talk about opera now uh, with all the stuff that's been going on in this town and opera at the Lyric uh, with the change of leadership and, and some of the productions that they're they're uh, putting on. Uh, I, I saw your review of The Magic Flute and I, I guess you really liked it as much as I did.
1: I enjoyed it. Yes, wasn't that a wonderful production? It is. It was, yes. And, you know, it speaks to a time in opera when um, directors were still, when what they did was still very related to what was happening with the score, which is not always the case today. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you can't also graft some interesting things onto operas that sometimes have little to do with what they're saying musically. But that was uh, Augusta Everding, who, of course, you know, such a musical director, even though he passed away now 11 years ago. And, there, you know, there, there's uh, uh, Matthew Lata came in kind of, you know, doing what he did. But you don't see productions like that anymore. And I, I guess there's, a, I, I guess I'm a little bit old-fashioned. I, I like that very much.
0: Yeah, I do, too, Uh uh, and, of course, it's mozart, so how can it how can it go how wrong? How can
1: you go wrong yeah <laughs> and the last some of the last music Mozart wrote,
0: yeah, didn't he write this just before
1: he died? yeah, this is what he was working on this and the the requiem there through the end of uh seventeen ninety one and uh so I mean it's just it, to think that this is it sure doesn't sound like the music of a dying man, that's for
0: sure well he was he was young wasn't he in his mid thirties thirty five yeah thirty five yeah him and gershwin dying young yes yeah yeah so tell us what what you think of the change of leadership now at at the lyric uh with uh with well new-
1: i wish i could tell you i i've uh, of course i've been trying to uh to meet with uh mr freud but uh uh uh, Lyric opera is not quite the the transparent organization right now that it often was or certainly was during the artist' Crane years, and at least in my experience, even back to the Carol Fox years, and certainly Bill Mason too I mean for uh he he always made himself very available, but yeah this, he's fact he's the our, last
0: major our... musical review uh uh person I had on these podcasts. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he gave me a absolutely great podcast. And a little aside from from that, I have never seen staff members, the people around him, that were st- that were so in awe of him as his staff was. It was like I was meeting with the president or with Santa Claus or somebody you know, somebody like that. So I appreciated what Well you know, uh,
1: Artist talk- Krenick always had this wonderful phrase that she used to say, you know, it, you know, opera is like all you know the combination of all the art forms. You know, and she she would get all excited and stuff. But it was it was very true. She would uh, you know that what you have there is you're combining all of the different art forms between having you know obviously uh, the symphony and the music components and sculpture with the scenery and art with the backdrops and things, and then of course dance and and of course singing. Not to mention drama. And uh, so I you know she used. To say, uh, of, of course we're elitist. So why wouldn't we be? We're the best. <laughs> we well, have everything.
0: They also have uh, a $254 uh, top-end ticket.
1: And even that, given the fact of how little public funding comes into that, you know, as you know, that doesn't even cover half of the cost of putting on the stuff that goes on there.
0: Yeah, but thank God we have that because I, I just get blown away every time I, I go to the... Uh, to the opera. I just think it's such a, a great form.
1: Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean it, it it's uh, you know, but it is expensive. It's yeah. very very expensive to put, you know, to to coordinate to make sure that it's 7:30 all those things are happening all at the same time.
0: And I love the fact that if you get there at 7:35, you sit in the lobby until the first intermission.
1: Oh, 7:31. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I,
0: I just wish all the <laughs> no, theaters were absolutely do that. right. Yeah. And they start on time. Yeah, that's like the the only shows that I ever go to that start on time. I always tell my guests it's not like any place else. You've got to be there, or or guess what? You'll be out in the lobby.
1: <clears throat> well, thus far, excuse me. <clears throat> thus far, they they have uh, pretty well stuck to that, and um, I, yeah, and I, I, that's interesting because of course. Um, we don't think of opera in, uh, traditionally in that way. It used to be, my, my goodness, the, the reason that a lot of overtures were written the way that they were is to kind of say to everybody, okay, folks, time to come in.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but thank God they do that because uh, people are are just not time conscious anymore. And, and to me, it's rude to all the people that show up on time.
1: Well, we do, we take our opera very seriously in Chicago, that's for sure.
0: Yes, yes, they do. Uh, so you're, you kind of like where we're going. Uh, uh, I know that, uh, we had talked and a lot of people had talked about the lyric, uh, doing showboat and maybe doing one musical a year. And the debate was whether that should be the ninth show or part of the eight show subscription and so Right, right. W- what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, I, for me, it's, it's, I have no issue with including the, uh, the, the musical, let's say, for it, as as you know, part of what it is that an opera company is doing, so long as, and I think this is a, a really very important caution, so long as it's not taking away from other things that lyric would be presenting. And I, I think where a lot of us are coming down on this is that you have Eight slots. Period. And this has not changed. This is this is actually the eight have been in. Uh, that that goes back to the Carol Fox years. Artist critic tried, I think, at one point to add a ninth show, and and they they cut it back to eight. So, you know, we've never had a full time opera company in that sense in Chicago like the Met where you have you know productions constantly going it's eight a year that's it and i think one of the issues is okay given the enorm- the vast repertoire of opera that's out there if one of those eight slots is now a musical that you know frankly you can go see done at a lot of other venues and a lot of other companies that's taking away from operas that we can be hearing and and a lot of us have concerns about that
0: yeah i know the other the other end of the argument is is that they're very popular and they bring people into the venue and they do they're, they can do 12 or 14 or even 16 performances and they can do them closer together because the singing isn't as demanding as an opera that's that's on the other on the other hand uh, how would you feel about if they just added a ninth show and that would be the musical
1: I think that's I think that's the only way you can really justify it in ter- and, and keep your uh, artistic integrity, frankly. And I don't think that decision has been made. If you remember when Renee Fleming came just about a year ago now and made this announcement, we we pushed her on that very point. Yes,
0: you, yes, we, yeah. I, I was at that press conference. Several people, including right. yourself,
1: right. And and it was kind of and and nobody was willing to kind of uh, uh, you know say where this is going to be. In the long run, the Oklahoma that was announced at that point was a non-subscription performance. But then you turn around and you say, "Oh, and we're doing Showboat <laughs> as part of our subscription."
0: And they're doing 14 versus generally, I think it's eight productions, right? But but uh, Magic. Oh, even Flute, less
1: than that this year—they've they, cut way back.
0: Yeah, but uh, I think Magic Flute is doing 10, and some of the others are doing either eight or six. Right. Some are
1: even six. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, it's take, I, I can see the strategies either way, but I, I tend to agree with you, uh, because I love operas so much and I have not covered operas, Certainly, you know, if this is my like fifth year, right. And you've been covering it for years. There's so many operas I have not seen that, that to me, uh, just keep cranking out the top drawer operas.
1: Well, and we have a bias here, which really goes back to the whole Carol Fox era. You know, they used to joke that that lyric opera was uh, La Scala West, <laughs> and um, of course it was a very Italian company, even uh, run by uh, mostly Italians at that point. Uh, and the repertoire is still very Italian. I mean, you're, you're which artists. I like.
0: I love the Italian. Artists.
1: Well, I, and that's fine. It's just that we don't. We hear very little, you know, French opera. We hear very little German opera. We get, I mean, their attitude is that if. Uh, and if they do Wagner one year, then you won't hear Richard Strauss that year. It'll be the next year. So, you know, that's, it's like two years between hearing, uh, you know, an, an opera by, uh, by Wagner or, or Richard Strauss. And, and that, that can be very, very frustrating for the, for folks trying to you know you hope that you live long enough to hear some of these things you know because it'll be, it might be ten years before you hear <laughs>
0: how long do you think before they ever do the ring cycle again
1: well um Sir Andrew Davis told me even last winter that um there is a a new production in the works there and that was all I could squeeze out of <laughs> well that's that's
0: interesting that's <clears throat>
1: Well, I don't even think he would have admitted that much. I happened to be doing an interview with uh, Johan Botta, who was the wonderful Lohengrin last year. That's right. And, uh, you know, so it it was obvious that he had been asked to do some things. Of course, um, you know, he couldn't be terribly specific about what he had been asked to do, though you can kind of put two and two together just looking at their schedule and what their repertoire is. Um, So, we are going to, from from what from what Andrew Davis said during that interview, at least he he kind of just said, look, I I w- yes, we are going to do this. I can't tell you when, I can't tell you who, I can't, but we are looking at a new ring,
0: a new one that would be interesting.
1: Well, they've you know the other one they did twice now, and uh, so that that's generally about the lifespan of a ring.
0: Okay, then it has to be refreshed and. Reinterpreted. Right. How long you think that'll be? Six, eight, ten hours? I mean, Which, I'm sorry. John, uh, the, the ring cycle.
1: The, the, uh, it's about 19 hours of music altogether.
0: How do they do it? You you go three, four days in a row? Or yeah, what? it's four different works.
1: It, it's four di- The first one is the shortest that's done, you know, in an, in, but the others that get, by the time you get to, uh, to the later ones, you're up to, uh, you know, five and six hours experience
0: so you have a dinner break well that's that's cool i mean you know i never thought uh that i would be able to sit through uh three and four hour operas which i have in the last couple of years but boy i'll tell you when you get into those and you let them kind of overwhelm you and and you enjoy it time means nothing
1: well wagner particularly i think i've done this actually with some music students where you know, or people even just taking music appreciation or something where you take them to something like that, and of course they dread it. They have this, this. and then we'll do a little experiment. Well, while, while I'll even say after an act that's been, you know, a couple hours long, I'll say, how, how much time do you think has elapsed? I, oh, half an hour, <laughs> uh-huh. forty-five minutes. So it is, They it, they suspend time. They sure do. In an
0: entirely different but way, but I think that's true of of good musical theater and good dramatic theater too. I've been to seventy five minute shows that are five hours long, yeah, and and I've been to you know uh, three and four hour Shakespeare's and or or uh, O'Neill's that right. you thought were an hour long,
1: right. And what you have, of course, in the case of, of opera, particularly the the whole Wagner equation, is your your senses and emotions are being Assaulted is, is probably too abrupt of a word, but you know, caress whatever they're being manipulated, there's no question. Yeah. And yeah. that's a journey you
0: you feel. Yes. Yes. I I couldn't agree with you more. Well, so we so we think we're we're doing pretty well in opera. What about musical theater? I, I, I think our local regional productions of some shows, Drury Lane, the new Paramount Theater. And Marriott have have done some really interesting things. I
1: have not been out to Paramount. I've heard I've heard wonderful things. That's a bit out of our readership, yeah. so I haven't headed out there yet. But well, I,
0: they're doing uh, Jim Cordy's really doing big production. My Fair Lady had like twenty five equity actors, a yeah. full orchestra, and he's got uh, a chorus line coming up. Uh, you know, he was in that show uh, on the oh, tour. Oh, he's a,
1: he's a remarkably talented man. Yeah. So no, that. No but
0: what do you think of what uh, Drury Lane has been doing the last year or so?
1: Oh, it's it's probably, for me, the biggest story in local musical theater has been what has happened at at Drury Lane. Uh, And it's not that... I mean, Drury Lane has always been very good. I mean, I certainly don't want to... But there is a younger generation that is
0: taking over there. Kyle DeSantis took over the... He promised... I interviewed him a week or two after he took over, and he promised all these things he was going to do, and guess what? He's done all of them.
1: Well, I think it's just remarkable what he's done. Yeah. And uh, I just so look forward to stuff over there. And
0: uh, How about Sound of Music? Yeah. I couldn't believe it, Tom.
1: I mean, who was expecting, God knows, you and I know, how many Sound of Musics have we had to sit through over the years. And uh, it's not necessarily a show that you're looking forward to, to seeing, um, you see all levels of productions, and that production was one of the best I've ever seen.
0: Me too. And, you know, several of the actors in the show told me it was so popular that they even cut their, you know, they get so many comps. They said it was oh, selling yeah. so well, we can't even get our friends, you know, a comp. Well, that's a nice problem. Yeah. Isn't, and they, oh, yeah, they agreed. They said this is so good, you know. Uh, and how about their, um, their, their, uh, production of uh ragtime too i thought was was marvelous
1: i i was a little more uh, you know some of some of these others where the music direction hasn't been as strong were a bit bothersome for for me personally but i did this year i thought there was a a, a really i mean the sweeney todd i thought was just remarkable yes yes um the uh the sound of music as you said i thought the Spamalot was you know yeah. which again is not a show that you know
0: well, it's not supposedly a great show, but I've always liked it. I think it's it's, it's entertaining, it's clever, and and musically, it's 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 there.
1: Well, I mean, it, let's put it this way: they they certainly gave you everything that that show is supposed to have. What you know, you can't ask for more than that.
0: Yeah, that that's true. All right, we're rolling along on time. I want to make sure I cover a, a, a few topics with you. Uh, tell us about your involvement with Paul McCartney.
1: Oh, well, um, I, I, I guess what that probably goes back, I think, um, to the late 80s when, um, I'm trying to even remember how we first connected. It was, I, I know I was doing...
0: From what I read, he invited you to come to, to Liverpool.
1: Well, that was yeah. later
0: on. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. That we had already known one another when that invitation came, but he, um... Yes, and that's actually a more interesting story, was that he...
0: Well, the most interesting at first was that you would get to know uh, somebody of his of his stature, because those guys are hard to get to know, from what I understand.
1: Well, it's not that they're hard to get to know. They're just not usually terribly accessible. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, Paul is actually a very down-to-earth guy. Uh, people, people probably laugh when I say that, but he truly is. I mean, this is a guy from Liverpool, for heaven's sakes yeah and uh very very much a uh a, of that working class attitude and stuff and despite all that he's accomplished but it was a fascinating story uh he he was he auditioned for a chorus as a young boy in Liverpool that turned him down and That same chorus asked him, you know, how many decades later would he write a piece for it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought, this is a great story. Yeah. yeah. You know, (laughs) so he went home. You know, he doesn't live in Liverpool, but he's from there. And so he, he went home to do this premiere. And, um, I, I, yes, he, he invited me to cover sort of the, the, the preparations, in part because we had had some conversations where it was clear, you know, that I also had a classical music background, and yet still appreciated what he had done, and, and also, you know, wasn't one of these classical music people that, that sort of poo pooed everything that's, you know, pop or rock. And so I think that's how that worked out. But that was, it was an amazing experience. There's there's no two ways about
0: it. Well, you just segue into something I wanted to make sure I cover, and I'm watching the time clock, too, to make sure we do, is one of the most amazing things about your background is that you do cover rock and jazz and uh, pop, folk, rap, hip-hop, all kinds of music. And that is, I don't know of anyone else. That can do what you do. Because most of us are, to one degree or another, snobs. Like, I like some of those things, but you can't get me near uh, rap or hip hop. (laughs) And and some of the loud rock stuff that just sounds like, you know, it it just attacks me. What gets you to have such an open mind when it comes to types of music?
1: Well, I. There'll be people that'll probably never read me again now. But if I to admit this, but I actually started in the rock business.
0: (laughs) Well, I didn't want to bring that up, but I did see that in your background. Yeah, at 14. That's true. Yeah, and
1: uh, that was that was some of the first stuff I was doing way back when. And I think some of that is also just when, you know, like you and I both, when we grew up. I mean, it was it was hard not to be influenced by. Some of the revolutions that were happening.
0: Yeah, it's so true. My group though uh uh we we were more into the uh Simon and Garfunkel and Peter Paul and Mary and sure. and and the Beatles. And like yeah. we didn't listen to like the, the 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 stuff from Jersey Boys. Uh that was considered for the blue-collar people, not for the intelligentsia that we thought we were.
1: Well, and I mean, I, I, I often, like in music appreciation classes, I'll, I'll, sometimes I will juxtapose like a counter tenor, like an operatic counter tenor with
0: Frankie Valley. <laughs> which, which that's what he was. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's I really thought, what he was. you know, I thought they were black females. Yeah. When I first heard them on radio. Okay. But a lot of people
1: back then thought that was a very sexy sound, much as they did in the 18th century. But, you know, these, these very sort of high pitched men. And the thrill of that it's it's not a sound that was ever particularly moving to me. I, I admit that. but um, but we go through phases in this. I mean, certainly, you think of um, so so much pop music had very, very high voices, high male voices, Yes, and this kind of thing. and that that's I, I think a lot of people have always considered that a very attractive sound.
0: I guess. It, it escapes me, but but I can see that. Uh, we're almost out of time. I'd like to ask you to uh, kind of one last question. What advice would you give to the young folks today who want to pursue music as a career?
1: Not to think of it as a career. To think of it as something that you have to do. And I to you know, in my view, unless that's the case, I, I wouldn't even consider <clears throat> doing it in any kind of a professional way. You have to just love it.
0: And you have to be obsessed with it, huh? To a yeah, certain it's way.
1: not something if if people are thinking in terms of um you know, I'll try this for X amount of time and if I don't get this far I'm not gonna do it. They don't even bother. You have to really love it. You have to really be committed.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, thank you so much, uh, Dennis. It's, it's been wonderful. And, and I'm certainly this, I'm certainly going to have you on a couple more times because we could go on for hours. I didn't even get into, uh, your, your teaching and your, your, all your background. And that. I'm sure there's some great stories there. But we'll save that for another interview. It'll be my pleasure, Tom. Uh, thank you. And folks, go see a play this week.